It's time to write effing now and get pumped to master writing, book marketing, and publishing one bite at a time. I'm spilling all the tea from writing my own books and coaching hundreds of authors on theirs. Now let's talk shop. Write effing now. On today's episode of Write Effing Now, we're meeting the characters who are just dying to get to know you in your own book, whether fiction or nonfiction. And this is a storytelling element you don't want to skip. But first, let me tell you about two superheroes when we're talking about characters. Do you see what I did there? I was trying to interweave some sort of segue. As I've said it before, Monumental Voice Media is the mofo of audiobook and podcast production. Simply and undeniably, if you have a book, you need an audiobook. And if you want to be seen as an expert in your field, you need a podcast. Check them out and hook it up. Character development is important. And it's not just important, it's actually critical. It's actually vital. That's because people relate to people. Think of how you respond emotionally to a brand or a product versus a personal brand. You're not going to attach to a can of Lysol. You're not going to feel any sort of emotional implications when you think about it. But you will attach to the people behind it. You'll attach to the moms cleaning up the goo from their kids when they're sick, the dog that shakes his wet ass all over the couch, the dad who has to pick up the garbage. You get the point. We are people. We are social. We are designed to connect. This is even true of business books. Business books need personality. It aids in retention, the ease of digestion. So when people are taking in the content and they're going, oh, this is easy to read. I want to read it. I want to read more. And this is why we teach the way that we do with people, with that emotional connection. You are just so much more effective that way. I can't underscore that point enough. It's also why Story Driven is my favorite book format. So story-driven is when you unapologetically drop someone right into the middle of the story. You don't have any preamble. You don't have an introduction to it like, you know, Genesis was the fourth born of 12 children and her favorite color was azure. Like you are just, boom, she's on the dance floor in a rave. You're in the ocean. You're deep sea fishing. You're sitting across from your crush in a coffee shop. We're getting to know the characters as we learn about the settings. We're doing it all at the same time in immersion. So if you're educating people and trying to teach them something, even if it's a business process or method, you want to talk to them about a watershed moment in your life. This is the time that you hit rock bottom. You discovered a new way to do things that changed you and your business forever. There I was. I was sleeping on my friend's couch. I could hear him and his wife laughing in the next room. They were talking about the new baby coming. I looked at my life and I said, I am not where I want to be. And you know what? I've been playing it too small. That idea that I have rolling around in my head, things that I want to explode into the technology field, for instance, right? I'm going to get up 
I'm going to get back to my desk. I'm going to work on it because I believe in it, right? And that is the moment that things changed when you rediscovered that you could believe in yourself. You weren't waiting for somebody else to believe in you. You didn't need it. You just needed you. So if you're connecting to someone emotionally, naturally, that means you need to define their character. Let's talk about it. What are the nuts and bolts? Who are they? Why are they acting the way that they do? This is not just some random situation where you put them in a circumstance, it's a life or death thing, and you go, you know, I'm going to spin the wheel on this and see, are they going to fight, flight, freeze, or fawn? Fawning referring to, are they going to be a people pleaser because it's important for them to have people in their life liking them? Yes, I'm looking in the mirror right now. (laughs) Why is that? Why would they run? Why would they fight? Why would they freeze? Why would they fawn? Why would they react those ways? You need to know that. Was there a situation in their life? They couldn't stand up to the bully. It stayed with them ever since, and they made a commitment to themselves. I am never going to be a victim again, right? That is seen often. It's the hero's journey. It gives the reason for the suffering context. And you need to know it. When I was writing Killing Carl, and I've talked about this before, I wrote a whole big section on his childhood, on Carl's childhood. How his mom was died. Was died. How his mom died. She was crossing the street and she got hit by a semi. I know. I know it's very gross and gory, and that's who I was back then. <laughs> but she, and that just, that was it. She was gone out of Carl's life. She abandoned him. And after that, in her journey to go on and find a different life and not have a kid and not have a husband and whatever, then she was killed. So she was crossing the street, got hit by a semi. What happened then? Well, He's left at home with his father, and his father decides, I can't take care of this kid. I'm going to give him up. What would inform Carl to act a certain way? Thank you, Bobert. I will take your commentary. He's sleeping on the floor and just growled. (laughs) Everybody has an opinion around here. But so if I put Carl in a situation... If the police are interrogating him, why is he going to act the way that he is? Well, it all comes down to emotions. Every single thing that we do is based in emotion. Whether we're trying to sell somebody on something. This is why some people are are the really tough closers, right? They're going to go right for the throat. They're going to be direct. They're going to say, what do you think? Do you want to do business with me today? It costs X amount of dollars. This is the service that you will get. And other people will go, here's my value. Here's the prospects. I want you to think about it. If it makes sense to you, make sure it makes sense. What do you think about it? Right? They don't ask for the sale. It's different. It has a lot to do with how we grow up, what we need, etc. Nuts and bolts. Who are they? Why are they acting the way they do? What story is connected to that? Who are you in your origin story? If you're writing for nonfiction, why do you act the way that you do? What hurt you? So you're never going to allow it to happen again. 
what was that moment where you went, oh my gosh, this is an epiphany. I'm going to carry it with me through the rest of my life. Number two, they need to be likable. Even your serial killers need to be likable, unless you're having it more of like a, a shadowy development in the story and, and nobody is ever going to really meet them or get to know them, right? And there's an old saying about cops and serial killers. And I think I just saw this in a TV show like Criminal Minds or something like that where one of the profilers was like, uh, you know, I made the mistake and I didn't really respect the criminal I was chasing. And that didn't work out for me. I'm just so glad everybody can hear all the dogs shaking and barking and licking. It's so fun. I hope it's an immersive experience for you. I know it is for me. So they need to be likable. They need to be relatable. Again, in Killing Carl, and my mom worked with me on this, that one of the first drafts I had was Doris is marrying Carl. Well, Carl was pretty two-dimensional. He was a killer. He was flat. He was like flat Stanley, right? He was super two-dimensional. And she said, well, why would she even marry him? There's no compassion. There's no charm. There's no charisma. There's none of those things. He doesn't have any sort of emotional IQ. He doesn't have anything. It's not believable if you are positioning her as a woman who is super smart. It's not believable. It doesn't make sense. So I had to go back. I had to rewrite. I had to say, okay, well, does he change then? Is he a person who started out a little awkward? Did he deepen in some way? Did he, did he take a turn for the worse? I had to go in and I had to make those decisions. And you'll need to make those decisions too, whether in your fiction or non-fiction book. They need to be likable. They need to be relatable. The guy, the, the, the robber who knocks over the liquor store and you get into his story, well, why is he doing it? Well, he's got to feed his family. Then there's some part of your heart that gets tugged on. There's some part that says, oh my gosh, now I feel kind of sorry for him. Have you ever found yourself rooting for the villain? I know you have. And it's kind of funny because when that happens, you go, well, what kind of person am I to root for the villain? That's success to me. That's more than two dimension. People are facets of emotions. And you have to explore all of those facets. Not People are born serial killers. They're not born robbers. They're, they're not born cheaters. They're not born liars. They're not born these things. They have these experiences or they're, they've had a lack of affection in their life or they've had abandonment or somebody lied to them. They've had betrayal. So when you're looking at the antagonist aspect of it, you have to tie in those instances. What are those? And make your reader feel. Conversely, your protagonist can't just be all perfect. You know, and you can't just be all perfect in the book. I was perfect, and then I did this, and I took these steps, and I lived happily ever after, and now I live in a golden palace. That's not realistic. Nobody's going to believe it. This is why people tap into, like, the non-polished version. This is why people talk about, I don't want to look at social media anymore because it's all polished. It's not like, 
Here's the families. As one of my authors said last week on Get the Book Out, the new radio show on Sandcastle Radio. Make sure you're listening. And I interview all kinds of authors and talk about their process and their books and their favorite songs and everything. And it's just a really cool variety show. So in any regard, people will talk about that. You know, and my author said, um, I'm not the type of guy to dress myself up and my children in matching pajamas and dress the cat up and all these things. It's, he said, it's just a load of crap and I'm sick of it. And I'm even talking with um, a network producer right now who's saying people are sick of the polish. And they want the real. How do you get up again? So sprinkle in the likableness in your antagonist, right? Even if it's nonfiction, it's somebody who's trying to stop you at every turn. You're trying to open up your cookie shop, right? Or sprinkle in the reality and the raw into your protagonist, yourself. You're going forward. You're trying these things. You fall on your face. You make an embarrassment of yourself. You lose it all. You're the hero. Make it believable. It's really critically important that it's believable. And I think this really, I was going to use it as a separate point, but I really do think it blends quite well onto point number two. So make it believable, whether it is um, that you're focusing on and what you have to do to get there or the obstacles that you're facing. Make it believable. In fiction, Make the solutions believable. It can't just be a matter of convenience. All of a sudden, I, I forgot I had a gun in my purse and I could blow this guy's head off and save my life. Way too convenient. It doesn't string us along. It doesn't cause our hearts to beat faster. It, it doesn't, it's not the buy-in that we need, the suspense, right? The suspense is like, oh, I think we got it. We resolved it. It's great. And then boom, something else happens again. And you're strung along and along and along. So you need to make those aspects believable. Make them human. These are the character traits we want. Likeable, believable, human, multifaceted. Feel sorry for that villain. And I talked about writing out Carl's background Another thing you can do is make a dossier of your characters. We did this in the sitcom that we wrote. It was like, you know, the name of our character, Carlos. Oh, to have a Carl and a Carlos. They seem to have an affinity for that name. And then this is why they went into the army. This is why they left the army. These are the things about them. What are they afraid of? What quest are they on in life? What is a current challenge for them? Why is it a current challenge? What sort of their own emotional obstacle are they trying to get over? What are they trying to prove? What are the stakes? The emotional goal. Think about those things. Ask those questions. That gives your character context it, it gives them dimension it gives them purpose this is a living breathing human being it is not a character that is just going to live in the book the best characters walk off the pages and join our lives think about some of the books that you've read that stay with you i can tell you one anna green gables 
That was one of my favorite books as a child. I rooted for Anne. She was the underdog. She had that wiry orange hair. It didn't fit in with the other girls who had the smooth blonde hair or the shiny brown braids going down their back. Anne had freckles across her face and everybody else had these peaches and creams complexion. She had an unorthodox living situation, living with people who weren't her parents. And her friends had this nuclear family. Anne was tortured. Think about movies that you watch and you love these characters and you go, oh man, I just love them so much. I relate to them so much. And then all of a sudden something terrible happens. They lose their parent, their best friend, their child, their money, their house. It's all surrounding loss or they're thrust into a situation that just seems totally untenable. I think of the show Shameless. Shameless is an absolute masterpiece. It's a matter of all of this messed upness in life and finding these little moments of glory. Like every single day they're tortured. No, the dad doesn't come home or when he does, he's drunk and he takes all the money and, you know, and, and the main character is trying to wash everybody's laundry and then the, then the washer breaks, but then somebody gives him a washer, you know, or she's trying to find love and she thinks she finds it and then she's betrayed and you can feel the angst coming out. And that is exactly what I want you to do when you are storytelling is you're moving from one arc to the next. One pole to the next, always polar opposites. I think two of the, this is probably a physics thing, but I think of like, if you're stretching so far in the opposite direction, you're not going to come back to the middle. That means you are going to overshoot in the opposite direction. So if I'm shooting so far in the North Pole, that means I'm going to shoot the equal distance in the South Pole. Which means if I'm torturing my character to the extreme in the North Pole, then I'm going to have to reward them with incredible bliss in the South Pole. It's interesting. It's almost like being on a teeter-totter and varying the length, right? Here's another point. Use your pain, your experience, and the people that you have met in your stories. And actually, you will not be able to help yourself from doing that. Your characters will be kind of like this uh, trivial pursuit pie, right? This sliver comes from this person. It's your English teacher. This sliver comes from your soccer coach. This sliver comes from your neighbor. This sliver comes from your child, from your, from your grandma, from your spouse, whatever. These personality traits, these uh, proclivities, these gestures, habits, the verbal nuances, they start coming out and you build these people with these traits. It's crazy, but your characters will be peppered with your experiences and the traits of the people who have crossed your path. And even people you have never met, or it might be just like people you've heard about. You might listen to Joe Rogan all the time and be like, man, he has got one hell of a voice. I'm going to put that voice in, in my character over here. It's my protagonist's brother, and there it is. And he talks like that. This is the, the quality of his voice, for example. Think about creating interest. What characters do you remember the most? Do they surprise you? Do they make unusual decisions? This is why juxtapositions are so memorable. It's the contrast of the hard and the soft. 
So you're putting those two things together, those two qualities together, those two tactile sensations together, but it makes you remember them, right? If you've got a character and you expect him to run all the way down the block, but he falls after the third step and he's got to come out of the race, you've delivered a different expectation. That's a juxtaposition on that expectation. So swerve. If you're plodding along and going, this, this makes sense. I think this would be predictable for this person to do that. Swerve it. What if they did exactly the opposite? And then what do you do with them? How do they handle challenges? How do they handle disappointments? How does this integrate into their lives? And finally, use dialogue in your nonfiction vignettes. Whenever you're storytelling, people get stuck in the narrative and they go, this happened, then this happened, this happened, then, and I felt like this, and I did this, and so-and-so did this, and it's flat, even if you have the most descriptive content and it's roping people in and they feel so great about it, it's still flat without dialogue. We connect to each other's voices and each other's words in a conversational way. Oh, they're like me. They talk like me. They think like me. That internal dialogue, that chatter, as we call it, that's another way to get people into your head and to get people to relate to you. So make sure that you're incorporating those three storytelling elements when you are creating a scene. You're going to set that scene, what's there in the setting that's relevant, right? If you're going to talk about there's a bench over in the corner, why is it? The, why are you talking about that? Why is it taking up space? Is there a reason that you're doing that? Is there a reason that you're laying out that scene that way? You know, it's relevant if somebody's sitting on the bench and they're having a conversation with somebody about how to hire a hitman, right? They're talking to the hitman. Great. They're going to be in the park on the bench in the winter with their feet planted in the crust of the snow. Relevant. You know, is it dark? So then there's a streetlight. Somebody walking by. What does that denote? Somebody could overhear them, right? There's an element of danger there. And moving then into dialogue. So first is setting the scene, next is dialogue. Use that dialogue. She walked into the kitchen and saw my hands covered in flour and said, I can't believe you're baking my cake. My birthday was three days ago, right? Stuff like that. Oh, your interest is peaked. Well, why is he baking the cake now? Is it an apology? Is she about ready to leave him? Does she think it's funny? How are we reading into this? There's opportunity for emotional extortion in a degree with your reader and then use your thoughts. And I've used this example before. Thoughts are fabulous juxtapositions because they can be the absolute opposite of what our body is doing. If I'm striding confidently up to the podium to accept my promotion, right? To accept my badge, my award, my honor, whatever it is, I reach out, I shake the giver, the, the person who's giving me the award, I shake their hand and they say, congratulations, well earned. And in my head I go, but I didn't earn it. My sister wrote the paper for me or whatever it is. It is a juxtaposition. It's surprising. And it is a way to hook that reader. So the book is not just about one big hook in the middle and one kind of hook at the end that leaves the reader wondering, questioning, and all those things. It is little hooks in between. A lot of times you can find those hooks at the end of chapters. 
and you'll lead into the next chapter. It's a little bit of foreshadowing. But you're hooking the reader. Oh, I'm, oh, that was unexpected. Oh, what's going to happen now? And you want to place those hooks strategically to kind of breadcrumb them forward and want to read more. That was a compilation of 10 tips. And that's our time on this week's chapter of Write Effing Now. When you need proven tips on getting the best writing on the page or you're ready to write your book, head to Bookmark Pub and get in touch. Until next time, authors, write on. 